listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Glad to have everybody on today. It's going to be a good one. Uh, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time up front. Pastor Bill Motley, love you. Not going to take a whole lot of time up front for announcements, but I do have an announcement. And so in a minute, I'm going to talk about that. But as you guys know, um, obviously we do everything we can uh, at Miracle Word to give you all kinds of resources uh, to build your faith and to equip you all the time. And that's what uh, my vision has been since the beginning. And of course, you know that we... we uh, release these every weekday we're broadcasting. And so all this teaching, I mean, literally like an hour or more of teaching every day uh, for free is available to you guys. And of course we have it on the podcast and we have it on social media platforms. Then of course, if you have our app, which is absolutely free that you can get on uh, the Apple app store or the Google play store, you have access to miracle word radio, which plays preaching and teaching 24 seven, never stops People leave it on in their house. It's a part of now uh, the Amazon Alexa package. You have it in skills on Amazon Alexa. All that's available to you. And, um, you know, all the things we're doing constantly just to put out uh, things to build your faith. Because we know and understand the uh, the kind of time we're living in, the final moments of time, really. And uh, people need to be built up. People need to be strengthened. And so um, as you're jumping on, I'll say this, what, what we wanted to announce today, which I'm very excited about, I've kind of been toying with this idea for a long time. And of course, you know, it's like, you know, when you're thinking about, well, should I add something else to the plate? Because there's already so many things going on. There's already so many other things uh, that you have to think about and do, especially as you're traveling on the road. But, I, you know, I love it so much in doing this that I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it because I enjoy it. And I know people will enjoy it as well. And so today what we're going to be announcing and releasing to you is the Miracle Word blog, which is actually live right now. You guys can actually uh, access it on our website, which will be miracleword.com forward slash blog. And uh, what we're going to do is release articles um, every week to build your faith. And there's already a bunch of them up there on the blog for you guys to read. Um, And uh, what I want to do, my goal, of course, you guys know I love to write anyway, but there's times that I'm just like, man, I've got a thought. I got something to get out there and I can't, I'm not going to wait, you know, necessarily for the next book to come out or whatever that might be. But there's all kinds. I mean, like if you were to, if I were to show you, you can come back to me. If I were to show you, uh, like literally my, um, my Microsoft OneNote app in my phone and tablet, you'd be like, man, cause I have just like a queue, like a long queue of things to write that are in my spirit. And uh, sometimes you feel like, man, I can't wait till the next book comes out to release this or whatever. But this is a good platform because it'll allow me to write things and get them out to you to build your faith, encourage you. Or if I see something in scripture that's just like stirring my spirit up, I can put it out and get it to you in that format available on your phone, tablet, whatever, just like any other blog. But um, I also want to really put these, one of the things that we were talking about is we have certain things, obviously, that we reference all the time. Certain things we talk about often. You know, we might, like yesterday uh, and and on Friday, we talk about studying the Bible. You know, it's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. 
uh, how to study the Bible, the importance of it. And we have resources that we constantly talk about and give you. But if we have some of these things in like a blog post format to where we can just post a link and in that blog uh, article format, you have the teaching plus embedded videos, embedded podcast episodes, so that all in one spot, you can kind of uh, get that stuff and, and have it available to you. And, uh, you know, we've done some uh, topical teaching that people are always asking about, you know, end times Bible prophecy or prosperity or whatever it might be. Fasting. Of course, we released the fasting book, but we can put these out and cover little topics that, um, you know, otherwise might seem just like a rabbit trail, but you can devote an entire, entire article to it and, uh, and explain it fully and all that. So it's nice. And you guys can interact and ask questions and I can answer you back. So I want to encourage you to go check it out. Miracleword.com forward slash blog. And, uh, we'll be adding to it. Once again, we'll be adding to the blog, uh, on a weekly basis. I don't ever want this to become something where it's like, you see people are like, Oh, he launched a blog last year and there hasn't been a new blog post in like nine months. I don't ever want that to be the case. I hate seeing that stuff happen, but, uh, of course I love to write. And so I'm going to do my very best to have something to you brand new and fresh every single week. And, uh, already ha- we have tons of things in the works. So, but today I wanted to, um, I wanted to share with you. Uh, and by the way, I know my cousin is this next two weeks, I believe doing teaching on end times Bible prophecy. Uh, today, the reason I'm doing this broadcast is because I've had some questions come in, um, that are practical that I've had to answer for people and, uh, literally good questions, really important questions, um, that, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are asking. And the reason I'm sure of that is because people were asking those same questions in the Bible and having those same, uh, thoughts and wondering the same things when Paul would teach about the end times. And so I wanted to cover something today. And of course you saw the title, a warning about the rapture. And, uh, so I want to deal with that today because this week I've had a couple of questions come in that we just, we talked through with the people that had the questions and they, of course they understand. And I, I applaud them because they are good questions, good way to think. And so in this, uh, broadcast today, uh, I want you to turn to second Thessalonians And I'm going to cover this topic, a warning about the rapture from second Thessalonians. Um, obviously as the title suggests, it was the second letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. And, um, a couple of things that are really good for you to know, uh, is that number one, the Thessalonian church was a very young church. Very important that you know that. And and Paul, I think is writing to them, you know, from his third missionary journey, but the church Uh, was planted or founded during the second missionary journey. And so Paul's writing this second letter to the church because they have issues in their body of believers about the last days. And so Paul had already written one letter to them. And uh, if you go back and look, and we'll use some of these resources that we always tell you guys about today. But Paul, uh, in his first letter, was writing to them. And then he had some uh, encouragement and some instruction for them about the last days. And so as he's teaching them about the last days, apparently a bunch of them misunderstood what Paul was trying to teach about the last days. And so because they misunderstood him, it caused people to start living the wrong way, uh, because of what they thought he meant about the last days. So that was really, if you go back and study the book itself or the letter itself, one of the main reasons Paul wrote second Thessalonians was to correct their thinking 
about what he had previously taught about the last days. Because obviously he didn't want to see the church end in failure. He didn't want to see the people of God in the church destroyed. And so because they had a a wrong thought process, they misunderstood his teaching on the last days. He said, I've got to write another letter. And uh, Bible scholars tell us that they believe that this letter was written very shortly after the first letter. So it's not like this massive amount of times had gone between the two letters. It seems like it was like letter, problems, follow-up letter. You know, it's just, it was like a correction. And so Paul, it's a very, and of course, it's, it's a shorter letter than the first, because obviously uh, one of the main purposes is that correcting their thoughts, right? So if you go into this, and by the way, take a minute to share it because this is an important topic. This is a very appropriate topic for right now, 2021. So I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, 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 a, it's a victory tribe uh, must watch and must listen. But I'm going to read you a couple of things from, Thess- from 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at the introduction. And then we're going to look at some of the notes here in the Life Application Study Bible. But I want to teach you uh, about this. I'm going to address this question publicly. Of course, I'm not going to list the name of the guy that asked me because I don't want to put him out there. But it was a great question. And uh, I want to say thanks for asking it. But we're going we're gonna to cover his question that was very specific uh, because many people right now and in decades past have thought this exact same way about Bible prophecy and about the end times and the rapture. That's why I'm covering it. It is a warning about the rapture because there's two sides that you really have to see. And that's what we're going to point out in the broadcast today. So uh, first of all, uh, let's look at some of these things uh, just from the notes. So... Um, they're telling us here, and obviously we know from his letter that they totally misunderstood. They totally misunderstood, um, his, his teaching on the last days. And that's not just the rapture, it's the second coming of Christ. So all of it, and they misunderstood it totally. And so, um, the notes will tell us that he faced this problem with the Thessalonians and basically he was trying to encourage their faith and stimulate them to good works uh, with his teaching about the last days, but um, it was misunderstood. And so because of the fact that he had taught that the coming of the Lord was drawing near, it was so close, people thought, well, man, it's going to happen like tomorrow. It's going to happen like two days from now. And so people started having problems. And so uh, when they saw, and the other thing you have to understand is they were facing heavy heavy persecution, heavy persecution. So because of two things, Paul's letter, and then they saw the heavy persecution, they just assumed, man, what he said is happening. This is the day of the Lord. This is happening right now. And so Paul had to sit down quickly, fire off another letter to let you know, day of the Lord's not come yet. We're not there. So, and then, and then there were problems that stemmed from what they thought. Okay. So they're like, oh man, the day of the Lord is here. Problems have arisen. We're, we're in the fine. We're in that time. You know, whether they thought, uh, they were in the tribulation and, uh, literally, uh, Christ was going to come back now or whatever. And so, uh, Paul dealt with that because what was happening was, and we've taught this on the broadcast, how you think will determine how you act, how you think will determine the actions you take. So that's why it's important to have right beliefs so that you have right actions. If you've got wrong beliefs, it'll stem, wrong actions will stem from that, no question about it. And so I want you to put this in the comments first of all, is that right 
thoughts produce right actions. I want you to put that in the comments. Right thoughts produce right actions. And we're going to give you this warning about the rapture because that's what Paul had to do. That's, he had to write to them and give them this warning. And here, here's what he dealt with as you're writing that in the comments section. Now, let me read this. The Bible says that uh, he mentions their perseverance in spite of the persecution. That's a good thing. And then he talks about Christ's return, but then he directly answers their misunderstanding concerning the timing of the event and of the end times. And he tells them, don't listen to rumors. Don't listen to rumors and reports that the day of the Lord's already begun. And this happens in chapter two, where, where we'll go, go in a minute. But then he, he encouraged them and, and it, it explains to them. And that's where I do want you to go to, to Th second Thessalonians chapter two, because that's where he starts addressing their misconceptions. And we're going to address it today. And, um, and then I'm going to talk about this because we have to, as Christians, we have to think like this because we're literally, you think about this. He wrote this letter almost 2000 years ago. You know, scholars think it was somewhere around 55 AD that he wrote this letter. So we're coming up on 2000 years ago that Paul wrote this letter, warning them of the imminency of the day of the Lord. We're, we're so close to it. And now 2000 years have passed and we're in that moment. So think of this because what we're seeing now is even more of signs of the times than what even they were seeing. And uh, so let me, let me deal with this because the, this is what uh, Paul had to, had to say. I'll start with verse one, second Thessalonians two, one, listen now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. We ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. See, cause that's what was going on either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter that that's seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. So he's saying, whether you hear teaching from somebody else or you get like a, a fake letter from the apostles saying, yep, we're in the day of the Lord. It's our, he said, don't be shaken in your mind. Don't be shaken in your spirit. I'm sure there's people right now around the world uh, during the last year of 2020 that are positive that the tribulation's already begun. I mean, I'm sure they think we're in it. We're not. We're not. And so he said, don't be shaken. Verse three, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. So he said, watch, there'll be re rebellion and lawlessness and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. That's the antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God of, or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming to be God. And don't you remember what, what I said when I was with you and I told you these things? And now look, here's an important part because now he goes backwards. So he, he, do you notice that Paul's working backwards? He says, okay, you're thinking it's the day of the Lord. You're thinking the second coming of Christ is right around the corner. That won't happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the antichrist and the great rebellion. And he makes himself to be God in the temple. So he goes from second coming back to man of lawlessness. Then he goes back again. And what does he say in verses six and seven? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So look how Paul works backwards. Second coming, 
but the Antichrist has to come first, but he can't come until the one that's restraining him, which most scholars will agree is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Ghost is moved out of the way. That's the rapture. So you've got second coming, but moving backwards, the revealing of the Antichrist, moving backwards, the rapture of the restrainers. That's us. We are the restrainer. So he's just explaining to them why their thought process is wrong. You're not in there yet. You haven't even seen the Antichrist. We've not even, be caught, we've not even been caught away to meet the Lord. So, so don't think that way. Now look at this. After he goes uh, and continues to talk about the Antichrist, he continues to go down and teach them. And I, let me show you. Um, to now to chapter three, because he's still correcting them. <laughs> he's still correcting them. Um, and for those of you that have a Facebook chat, if there's some kind of issue on with Facebook chat, so we can't see your, your messages. So if you jump over to YouTube, we'll be able to see your interactions and we'll be able to see your, uh, your messages on the, on the screen, because apparently they're having an issue with Facebook. So, uh, I think we're still broadcasting on Facebook, right? We just can't see the chat. So now we get to the third um, now we get to the third chapter of Thessalonians, second Thessalonians and listen to what he says. Um, he says in verse six, now we're second Thessalonians three, six, catch this warning. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, don't let him eat. So now look, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do your work quietly and earn your own living. And as for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So let me break this down because now this, this, uh, addresses the question that I've gotten multiple times. But again, I got this question again this week and I'm glad that I did, but somebody was asking me, they said, you know, well, let, let me say before I, I talk about his question, you know, there were people in decades past that were so sure, listen to this. They were so sure that the rapture was happening like this year or like next year. That you know what their thought process was? This is a real thing, by the way. Their thought process was, you know what? If, if the rapture is going to happen this year, if the rapture's happen next year, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to charge up as much debt as I can, do as much as I can on financially, uh, you know, if, whether that's take vacations or uh, use my credit cards to give big, big offerings into the kingdom. And I'm going to rack up a ton of debt and then just leave it behind to the Antichrist. Like that was their thought. I promise you that's how people were reacting in decades past. I'm just going to rack up a bunch of debt and then I'm going to leave it to the Antichrist because Jesus is coming. And that's how they lived. And so they didn't live uh, as those who are wise, but as those who are fools. Because even by doing that, even by doing what they were doing, 
Do you realize they were violating scriptural principles? Just by living that way, those Christians were violating scriptural principles. You know what the Bible teaches? A fool spends all that he has. That's a scripture. A fool spends all that he has. And so literally, they were on purpose overextending themselves for the purpose of sticking it to the Antichrist. And they're the only ones that got stuck because Jesus, the rapture didn't happen. You know, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come in 1988. There was an extreme discount on that book in 1989. (laughs) The funny thing was, though, is that the guy that wrote that wrote a sequel in 89 called 89 Reasons Jesus is Going to Come in 1989. I promise you. And so literally these people were, and this is why it's dangerous to think this way. Do we, do we live like Jesus is coming today? Yes. We live like he's coming now. We don't live uh, with our lives a wreck thinking like, well, he's not going to come for another 50 to hundred years. We don't live that way. In fact, there's a doctrine in scripture called the doctrine of imminency. It's the imminent return of Christ. And so there were people that literally were living like, oh, you know what? Since Jesus is going to come this year, I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to, I'm going to literally spend all my, uh, spend everything on my credit cards and rack up debt and literally just leave it to the Antichrist and stick them with it. And they're the only ones that got stuck because 1988 was a long time ago now, my friends. You know, what, what, what are we looking at? Like 30 years ago, 30, how many, how many years is that? 35 years, 36 years, 37 years. I don't know. Think of how long ago that is. It's not 37 years, but how long is 1988 ago? 33 years. You think about that. I was six years old. So yeah. And that's literally what they were. That's literally how they were living. It's what they were doing. And so here's the, here's like literally the crux of the matter where Christians struggle. I'm gonna give you the warning about the rapture. Here's where Christians struggle. So, and here, let me address the question I got this week. The, the, the question was, um, you know, my wife and I can see that we're in the last days, we're in the last moments of time, and we are, he's right about that. We, we can see the, the prophetic time we're living in, and he's right. We are in those times. We're seeing Israel, by the way, a specific prophecy of Jesus, when you see the fig tree bud again or bloom again, that's Israel being reformed as a nation. Did you know that there are certain prophecies that could not be fulfilled unless Israel was its own sovereign nation again? Do you realize there are end time prophecies where even Ezekiel prophesies that nations of the world will go to war against Israel? Well, how can that be fulfilled if Israel's not a nation? And do you realize Israel didn't become a nation again until 1948 at the close of World War II, at the end of that, 1946, And then two years later, David Ben-Gurion announced Israel is now a sovereign nation again, May 14th, 1948. There are Bible prophecies that couldn't even take place until Israel was a nation again. And so listen to how close we are. I mean, now Israel's in place. The nations that are uh, against them are in um, place and and literally aiming. By the way, if you go to the blog that I just released, there's an article that some of you may have come across. Uh, the article's called Five Inventions That uh, Signal the Rapture is Near. Five inventions that I believe, just by uh, logic, 
have to be in place or some form of them have to be in place before the end times can fully be fulfilled. And so if you, if you go read that, it'll, it'll shake you. But one of the things I list in that blog post is that, uh, the things that Jesus prophesied about like Persia, for example, being a coming against Israel. Well, modern day Persia is Iran and Iraq. That's what modern day Persia is. And if you look at the Iranian leaders that have made public statements about wanting to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the map, I link to them in the blog post. I link to those news articles where Iranian leaders have made public statements and press conferences about how they want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And it's not like just, it's not like God just said, well, you know, these random nations are going to go to war again, you know, and she said, well, the nations will go to war against Israel. He lists the nations. He lists them by name. We can trace and track them to today. Modern day Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Russia. Look at the nations pointing uh, at Israel and wanting to destroy them. And so it's interesting how laser accurate Bible prophecy is, but remember those things couldn't be fulfilled unless Israel was a nation. And that happened in 1948. And Jesus said, the generation that sees this come to pass will not pass from the earth until all of these things are fulfilled or come to pass. So understand we're in the final moments of time just based on God's time clock. But here, here's the crux of the matter. The question was because, you know, my wife and I can see that we are in the final moments of time that, you know, prophetic time clock, you know, God's moving on the earth the way he said he would, which means we know the rapture of the church is close. And so he was asking very, um, practical questions like, you know, what should I do? Should I leave all my money that's in the, my 401k? Should I just leave my 401k money in there knowing that like Christ is coming to take us away or should I take all of it out with a penalty before my retirement and just start using it, uh, you know, not only for kingdom purposes, but to bless my family before we go to heaven. And so this is where many Christians, including the Thessalonian Christians, started to have issues with the rapture versus how we should live right now. And there is, now think of this, there is a, a real dichotomy here because you have to think on one hand is that we live with our lives like he is coming tonight, right? So I'm not going to put off living holy for 20 years and say, well, I'll get my life together when, when I feel we're coming closer to the rapture. No. We live holy and ready like he's coming tonight. And he could come tonight. In all honesty, Jesus could come right now while this broadcast is going. Because there's nothing holding him back. You realize that? There's nothing holding Jesus back from coming. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, all of the signs you see in the Bible of the end times, the signs of the second coming, those are signs for his second coming. The Bible teaches that the rapture, Jesus will come like a thief in the night, which means a thief doesn't leave you notes and signs. Hey, I'll be there at your house at 3 a.m. this morning. If you, you know, he doesn't do that. He'll come when no one's expecting it like a thief and take his church away. But then his second coming has many signs preceding it. So remember this. Those things are happening uh, after the rapture. So you say, well, Jesus couldn't have come back with the rapture until, um, you know, Israel became a nation. That's not necessarily true because the Bible doesn't give us a specific amount of time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. It could happen immediately, but it could also be a little span of time 
between uh, the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. We don't know how many years it'll be. Uh, there's some people that believe it'll begin immediately. Some believe there'll be some time in between. But what if the Lord chose for the reformation of Israel to happen after the rapture? Because understand, he could easily have done that. He could easily have taken his church off of the earth and then allowed time to pass and Israel to become a nation and then fulfill his prophecies. So there's no, there are no prophecies and never were prophecies that had to be fulfilled before Jesus could rapture the Christian church from the earth. It's a signless coming, but there are many signs that precede the second coming of Christ. And so the problem that we have as Christians, and it's not a problem, it's just you have to think of it in a specific way, is that on one hand, I am living my life like Jesus is coming tonight. I'm living my life with the urgency that he is coming tonight. But on the other hand, I'm also planning like he's not coming for 50 years, right? So, so here's where people miss it. And this is where the Thessalonians were missing it is that because they had this belief that Jesus is coming right now, they stopped working. That's why Paul rebuked them for not working. He said, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. And don't stop, don't be idle. He said, address the brothers in the church that are idle. Address the ones that stopped working because they think the day of the Lord has already come, so they're gonna just be taken out and they don't need to work anymore. He said, address the idle brothers and tell them, get back to work and earn your living quietly and be faithful to it. Why was he doing that? Well, does that mean that those brothers shouldn't live like Jesus is coming now? No, no, you still live morally and holy like he's coming now, but you still plan for your family and for your future like he's not coming in your lifetime. That is, listen to me, that is the wisest way to live. It's the wisest way to live. You live like he's coming tonight, but you plan like he's not coming. Now, let me break that down so it's not so general of a statement, because I'm sure there'll be purists that'll get on the comments section and try to start hammering me because of what I said about we plan like he's not coming in our lifetime. That doesn't mean that we don't give to fund soul winning. Doesn't mean that we don't engage in evangelism. No, no. That's part of living like he's coming tonight. So let me give you an example. Um, think, think about it this way. If we believe Jesus is coming tonight, we would live holy like we've never lived holy. On top of that, we would reach people with the gospel unashamedly and boldly and with urgency, not caring what anybody thought about it because you realize he's coming tonight. And so uh, when it comes to the things that we're commanded to do as the church, we don't lay back off of that. You know, and I understand, let, let me break something down quickly. I do understand that the debate between, uh, you know, reformed Calvinists and, you know, Arminian Pentecostals and those even that aren't Pentecostal that are Arminian uh, has raged for what, 500 years. And there are some people that believe that God predestines and elects some for salvation and chooses them totally and saves them by himself with no interaction on their own. That's, that's what Reformed Calvinists believe, that God does all the work of salvation and we play no part in it. It's called monergism or monergistic salvation. God does it all. He gives you the faith. He makes you believe. He pulls you into the kingdom. He does it all. 
Then there's others like me uh, as more of an Arminius thought, which is we have a free will that the gospel can come to us and we could reject it with free will. And that literally the gospel could come and it would not be effective for everybody that hears it. Or even that those that are saved and truly saved could fall away from the faith and literally could be apostate or not that they were never truly saved in the first place, but they were saved. They were on their way to heaven. But as I taught yesterday, seven crucial decisions to ensure you never lose your salvation. Peter said, do these things to make sure your election and your calling are, are confirmed or are sure. And he said, if you do these things, which we covered yesterday, you'll never fall away. You'll never fall away. And so we, you know, my opinion, and the reason I'm bringing this up about uh, monergistic or one-sided salvation versus synergistic God working with man salvation. The reason I'm bringing it up is because when we come here into these last moments of time, it's, you couldn't convince me, even though I know that there's valid points on both sides of that debate, you couldn't convince me that if you are a reformed Calvinist, that's a monergist that believes that God does all the saving and that man really plays no part. God's elected people for salvation and whether or not uh, you do anything because he's elected them, they will make it into heaven because, because he'll find them. He's chosen them and he will make sure they hear the gospel. If not from you, from somebody else. And they will be saved because his grace is irresistible. His atonement is particular and limited to them. And they will persevere to the end and be saved. You can't tell me that that thought process doesn't water down evangelism. You can't tell me it doesn't. Because how do you, if you, if you're a logical thinker like I am, how can you hear the argument? How can you hear the argument that, well, you know, those that are elect, you know, they'll hear the gospel one way or another and they won't be, they won't reject it. His grace is irresistible. They will accept the gospel. They will believe they will be saved. They'll be in heaven. You would just think if you're a logical thinker, okay, great. Then why should we evangelize at all? If we know they're going to come in, then everyone who's going to be saved will be saved. And nothing I do, no effort I give to the kingdom is going to make any difference anyway, because they'll hear it from somebody and they will be saved. That takes all the urgency out of evangelism. Even Dr. John MacArthur, when asked by a congregant in an open uh, question and answer forum, they said, Dr. MacArthur, if we believe the way we do, then what's the point of it? Why do we evangelize? They asked him straight out. You know what his answer was? We evangelize because the Bible commands us to. That was his answer. And that's true. We do evangelize because the Bible commands us to, but we also evangelize because people are on their way to hell. And without the gospel, no man can be saved. Without the gospel, no man can be saved. Listen, if the Bible teaches, and it does in multiple places, that people can be saved and then lose their salvation. Well, listen, if you can lose your salvation by your own actions, then you can also literally reject the voice of God and the call of God. I dealt with it yesterday and I won't go into that in depth today, but who are all those people in John 15 that were once connected to the vine of Christ, but then the father, the husbandman, the vine dresser sees they're not producing fruit. So he cuts them off of the vine and throws them into a pile to be burned because there are no sinners that were ever connected to the vine of Christ. If you're a sinner, you've not been connected to the vine of Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is dead in their trespasses and in their sins. There is none righteous, no, not one. So nobody's born connected to the vine of Christ. It doesn't work that way. 
So who are all those people? If you don't believe you can lose your salvation, who's connected to the vine? Who Jesus identifies, I am the vine, you are the branches. So how is a branch who's connected to the vine cut off by the vine dresser and thrown into the pile to be burned if you can't lose your salvation? The same way, why would Peter, I mean, when we go back and watch yesterday's broadcast. Why would Peter uh, continue to encourage the churches in Asia Minor? Do these things that I'm commanding you and make them habits so that you can make your election and your calling sure and you'll never fall away. Well, what's the purpose of encouraging the churches to do that if it's impossible to fall away if you're one of God's elect? Because notice the, the verbiage he uses in the, in the language there in that passage. He says, make your election, your election sure, to confirm your what? Your election. If God chose me before the foundations of the world, how can I cancel his election? What do you think? God didn't know what he was doing when he elected me? When he called me, when he purposed me, when he destined me for salvation, you think God made a mistake? So, oh, shoot. I, I didn't mean to touch him. I, I, I didn't mean to call him. He, that was an accident. And so what God makes sure you fall away because it was an accident. No, God's decree is final. God's decree is final. So if it is, then why do I need to take actions to confirm my election, to confirm my calling? And why do I need to ensure that I'll never fall away? or become an apostate. What's the point of doing that if it's impossible for the elect? See, because if you ever, if you ever do some Bible study on, uh, you know, reformed Calvinism, reformed theology, you'll find the, you'll, at some point you'll come across the five points of Calvinism that are summarized with the acronym TULIP. And the, each one of those letters stands for one of the points of Calvinism, the total depravity of man, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. And then finally P, which is the perseverance of the saints. And the perseverance of the saints simply means those who are truly elected by God will continue to produce holy and righteous actions and they will endure to the end and be saved. They'll never fall away. Well, if that's the case, how can you make both arguments? How can you make both arguments? How can you say that there are people that if they're truly elected, they will continue to produce righteous actions and they will be saved and they will not ever fall away because they're elect. And then read Peter's letter when he said, take these actions so that you can confirm your election and you'll never fall away. So are you just saying there? I mean, obviously you have to just say that, you know, people don't have free will to take those actions because if they're elect, they're destined to take those actions. So what's the point of encouraging them then? If we know, I mean, think about it logically. If, 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 as some believe that our choices are all decreed ahead of time and predestined for us, then what's the point of writing a letter encouraging people to take those actions if they'll take them anyway because they're elected to do that? They're predestined to do that. It's foolish. It doesn't even make sense. Paul, if, if that's the case, if real Christians can't fall back into sin and fall away, Paul wasted a lot of parchment writing back to the churches. Encouraging them, don't live in sin. Don't be a slave to sin. Don't fall back into sin. Live holy, live separated. What's the point of writing those letters by the Holy Spirit if all those choices are already predestined and decreed by God and you're elected to make holy actions as a true elect person or believer? See, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I'm telling you that when you look at the time we're living in, this is a warning about the rapture. We have an urgency because of what I'm telling you now about synergistic salvation. People have a free will. They can reject the voice of God if they want to. 
What do you think, Ananias and Sapphira, you, they weren't really saved that whole time? You think they were just really fooling the apostles and really fooling the believers and they weren't really saved? And so they came in and that, you know, uh, it, the proof that they weren't really saved was that they lied to the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead in the temple. You think that's what happened? No, they were numbered among the believers. They were numbered among the believers. They were part of the body of Christ. And then by their own free will, chose to reject the voice of God and try to deceive the Holy Spirit. It's a sin. It's a sin. You know, people preach Acts chapter 8 with Simon the sorcerer as though he, you know, like, like he was being dealt with by the apostles as a sorcerer. He wasn't. He was a Christian when they rebuked him. Go read Acts 8 for yourself. Philip preached in Samaria. Signs, wonders, and miracles were performed. Even Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized and followed the apostles. And then when Peter and John showed up, how, who knows how long that took? Because Philip was in Samaria. Peter and John had to come from Jerusalem. So who knows how long? They had to literally get word back to Jerusalem. There was no email. There was no text message. There were no DMs. Philip didn't slide into Peter and John's DMs and send them a message about the believers. They had to have a courier send a, a message from Samaria back to Jerusalem and say, hey, Peter and John, whole city's being saved down here. There's great joy in the city. Miracles and signs and wonders are being done. Peter and John get the, the, uh, the communication and make a trip from Jerusalem to Samaria and come there to do what? Lay hands on the believers to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so what takes place? Simon the sorcerer, who's now a Christian, who's been baptized and who's following after the apostles' doctrine, he is now watching Peter and John, watching them, lay hands on the believers, and there's an outward sign that they're being filled with the Holy Ghost. My belief is they were speaking in tongues, and that's what people could see on the outside. Because you understand, being filled with the Holy Ghost is an inward work. But what's the outward sign you've been filled with the Holy Ghost? According to the book of Acts, it's speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so Simon the sorcerer was able to see something on the outside that showed him they were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. So what did he do? He offered to buy that power from the apostles. He offered them money. He offered them money. Let me read this to you real quickly. Um, the Bible says, even verse 13, this is about Simon the sorcerer, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing the signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed as a Christian. Now he comes down and verse 18 says, after they got their hands laid on him and they got the Holy ghost. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy spirit was given through laying on of the apostles hands, he offered the money saying, give me this power also so that on one whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. What? What? Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. How did that happen? Simon the sorcerer went from being saved and went from being baptized and following after the apostles to now he, he takes an action of sin and the apostles rebuke him and say that you're, you're in sin and the bonds of iniquity. How did that happen? 
You're going to act like he wasn't, you, is the Bible lying to us? Because they weren't believe, they weren't baptizing unbelievers. They were baptizing believers because the Bible just tells us he believed he became a believer and was baptized and followed the apostles. What are you going to try to argue that the Bible didn't know what it was talking about? And the Holy spirit was mistaken. It was a false conversion. No, he was saved. It's possible for a Christian to fall away. So the point I'm making in this warning about the rapture is we live like he's coming tonight. And on top of that, we evangelize like he's coming tonight. We preach the gospel with urgency like he's coming tonight. We call people to Christ like he's coming tonight, right? So I want you to put this in the comments. My view of the rapture should create urgency in my heart. Put that in the comments right now. My view of the rapture should create urgency in my heart. Very important. My view of the rapture should create urgency in my heart. I want you to write it and know it and believe it. But on the other side, it doesn't mean you start acting like a fool. Because remember something, anything we teach doctrinally, anything that guides our lives and our life decisions and our worldview, it has to be something that can stand the test of time. It has to be something that can stand the test of time. So what if, what if we taught what some people believe back in the year 1000 AD, 1100 AD? What if you taught that same view in 70 AD? That, yeah, you know, Jesus is coming very soon, so just rack up as much debt as you can and live as, you know, whatever. Leave it all to the Antichrist. They would have been financially destroyed. Destroyed. And the same is true now in 2021. You don't live with a lack of wisdom because you believe Jesus is coming tonight. And you don't violate scriptural principles because Jesus, you think Jesus is coming tonight. So for example, you don't become a fool because you think Jesus is coming tonight. And the Bible defines a fool as someone who spends all that he has. And so I told that, that, that uh, man that, that sent me a message, I said, listen, I understand what you're seeing. I, I know, I believe we are in the last days, but you know, literally, do you believe that you should not do what the Bible says and be wise and save? have a buffer between you and life? You know, do you honestly believe that you should go day to day with nothing? And you've got children. And I was talking, of course, you know, he has children. You've got children that are depending on you. What, what do you do with the scripture in the Bible that says a good man, a good man, a godly man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children? What do you do with that scripture? A godly man, a good man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Yeah, but what if we looked at this thought process? Yeah, but Jesus is coming so soon. I'm going to just spend all I have, give it all to the working of, uh, for, for the preaching of the gospel and the winning of souls. And I'm just going to empty my coffers. I'm going to empty my 401k, my Roth IRA, my savings, my money market check or whatever. I'm just going to empty it out because he's coming tomorrow. So what do you do then for your children? What do you do then for your children's children? And listen, this is not a message against giving. I give largely, and I mean very largely, 
It would make religious people pee their pants if they saw how much money I give away on a yearly basis. And you should be a giver, a big giver. You should be a tither. You should bless the poor. We don't stop doing those things because Jesus is coming soon, nor do we stop doing those things because we're planning for the future. No, 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 no. Yes, I'm planning for the future. Yes, I'm saving. Yes, I have uh, you know, a buffer uh, between me and life, you know, as, as some financial planners say. I'm not, I'm not in the place. Did you know, I've, I've said this on the broadcast before, did you know 90 some percent of Americans, if they had a $500 emergency, would not be able to pay for it without putting it on a credit card? 90 some percent of Americans, that's foolishness. You know why? We've been lied to that we need every new product that comes out and we gotta buy everything there is and we gotta keep up with the Joneses. It's not wisdom. So of course I've got savings. Of course I've got a buffer between me and life. Of course, I'm planning to bless my children so that if Jesus does tarry, because I don't know the day or the hour, I don't know when he's coming back. What if he doesn't come back for 50 more years and I'm 88 years old and my kids are grown? Am I going to sit there and say, I'm sorry, kids, I didn't have an inheritance for you because I thought Jesus was coming in 2021. So I literally literally just gave everything uh, away to uh, the the church and put it into missions. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, kids. Now, I'm not saying God won't bless you for giving. Obviously, he will. But I don't believe, I'm not one of those people that believe that God's always expecting you to give everything you have. I don't believe that because it violates scriptural principles. To whom in the Bible, in the New Testament, other than the rich young ruler, did Jesus tell to give, to sell everything they have and give it to the poor? He was the only man in the New Testament. You know, the disciples said, well, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. But yes, they left it behind, but they didn't give it away. Go back to Peter's life. Here's proof. Peter, to to whom Jesus said, on on you, and I, I do believe that, on you, I'll build the church. I don't believe that it was just on the revelation that, that Jesus was the Messiah. I believe Jesus was talking to Peter. He was a foundational apostle upon whom Jesus built the church. I do believe that. The Bible says that the, the, the kingdom of God is literally that the foundation of the kingdom, the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets. I honestly believe that. And so When you go back and look at Peter's life, did he give everything away to serve the Lord? Or did when, after Jesus died and was in in the grave, you go to the end of John, did Peter still have his boats? Did Peter still say, I'm going out fishing. I got my boat. Got you guys come on with me. Did he still have a house when when he was a disciple of Jesus and his mother-in-law was laying in there sick with a fever? Whose house did they come into? Peter's house. And Peter housed the disciples in Jesus, housed his mother-in-law, had all those things. Did he sell them all to follow Jesus? No, he still had them. He still had his boats, still had his business, still had his servants, still had his home. So this thought process that you have to give everything away, the Bible doesn't teach you have to give everything away. Now, there may be times throughout your life that the Lord gives you an individual instruction at that moment, it's happened to me before, to sow everything you've got in your account. I've done it. Carolyn and I have done it. There might, but that's not every offering. God's not draining your account every offering. That's not even a scriptural principle. So the only reason Jesus told that to the rich young ruler was because he had a problem with money. 
He said, well, follow the, the commandments. He said, well, I've done that since I was a young boy. He said, you lack one thing. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor. Come follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. And as my grandfather preached for years, many possessions had him. He was held by his possessions, which is why Jesus, through a word of knowledge, gave him an instruction. He said, this is what's holding you back from being my disciple. And he couldn't overcome his love for money. But there were no disciples where Jesus told them, sell everything you have. The early church wasn't required to get rid of everything, though they all had all things in common and every need was met. They still had things. You realize that they had things. That's why every need was met. That's why nobody went hungry. That's why everybody had a place to live. That's why they had a community of believers that literally were giving. Remember this, you can't give if you don't have anything. (laughs) And they were giving often. And every need was met in the early church. Every need was met. They were able to feed widows, take care of orphans. They were able to do all of that. Food distribution, all of that. Because they had something. And so I want you to see this. If you went the other side of the thought process and were like, you know what? Uh, actually, I believe Jesus is coming out. I'm giving everything away. I'm going to charge up my credit cards and I'm just going to leave it all to the Antichrist. It's foolishness. You live with urgency. You preach, you teach, you witness, you live holy like he's coming tonight. On the other side, you plan like you're going to live the rest of your life on this earth and then bless your children and bless your grandchildren the way the Bible says. A good man, a godly man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I tell people, you're not blessed enough unless you have something not only to leave to your kids, but to your grandkids. And so we're supposed to be, uh, as the Bible says, gentle as doves, but wise as serpents, right? Supposed to be wise as serpents. Most of the body of Christ has the gentle part down, but they're not wise. They do stupid things. And you you can't, you cannot allow yourself to make foolish moves and expect God to bless you. Don't make foolish moves and expect God to bless you. Put this in the comments. Don't make foolish moves and expect God to bless you. Make wise moves. Obey the word of God. You know, I tell people, if you're in debt, get out of debt. Don't tell, I'm going to leave the debt to the Antichrist. No, if you're in debt, get out of debt. It's not good for God's people to be in debt. It's not a sin to be in debt, but it's not God's plan. What did he say to his own people in the old covenant? You'll lend to many nations and you'll not borrow. God's plan is that you're debt free with more than enough to bless other people. See, so make every effort to get out of debt. I mean, this, you know, Dave Ramsey, I saw some people putting his name in the comment section. Dave Ramsey, who is a Christian man, he's a Christian man. One of the things I appreciate about him, and I've heard him say this uh, out of his own mouth. It's not like someone told me he said this. I've heard him say it. The people call in and say, hey, we're Christians too. We're in debt. We're trying to get out. We're in the middle of your baby steps. We're in the debt snowball phase. You know, what should we do? He, he always encourages people, don't pause your tithing while you're getting out of debt. You should never stop tithing just to get out of debt. And we, you know, there was a time uh, back when we started, Carolyn and I had debt like that. And we said, you know what? We're not going to stop tithing, nor are we going to stop giving large offerings. And do you know, God brought us out of all of it in less than two years, all of it. And we never stopped tithing and we never stopped giving. But notice we didn't say, well, you know, Jesus is coming soon. We're just going to keep charging these credit cards up and we're going to leave it, stick it to the Antichrist. No, be wise. 
Be wise. God doesn't want you weighed down by debt, but he does want you to be a blessing. He does want you to abound. He does want you to have more than enough. And there's nothing wrong with blessing your family. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking your family on a vacation. You know, I'll give you another side of this. Well, I'll give you this, this one more thing before I pray for you. One of the mistakes that I made uh, that the Lord had to deal with me about was I was on the verge of burning myself out, you know, hitting nations and doing all these different things and nonstop go, 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 and never go home, never rest. And I'm young. I mean, think about this. I'm young and I was even younger then and I'm strong and I've got endurance, but I was on the verge of burning myself out. I was traveling to meetings and, uh, uh, preaching every night, most of the time, two times a day, doing all these different things. And I got to the place where my body started to wear out. And I thought to myself, like, I'd be traveling to a meeting and be like, Lord, I don't even want to go to this meeting. I'm tired. I don't even feel like preaching to these people. I don't feel like going. I'd rather go home. I'd rather rest. I'd rather spend time with my family. I don't even feel like going to another nation. I don't feel like going to another place. And I can remember I was overseas in another country and I was in the hotel room feeling burnout in the midst of revival. People are being saved every night and I don't even feel it at all. I feel like, no, I feel like going home. And I, and I was praying that day, Lord, give me a word for tonight. Lord, give me strength in my body to preach and bless your people. I pray that you open the windows of heaven over this church tonight. Bless these people. Lord, give me a word. Give me strength. And you know what I heard the Lord say? He said this, you know, you're not my only worker. <laughs> that was literally his words to me. He said, you know, you're not my only worker. And then he said this, which changed my whole ministry. He said, do you know, I love you more than what you can do for me. <laughs> that shook me up. He said, I love you personally more than what you can do for me. And then he took me to Mark chapter six. And this is where I want you to go. In no way am I pulling you back from urgency in no way of preaching the gospel. But what I'm telling you is this can become, if you're not careful, this can become a form of pride in your life. You know, I, I wore it as like a badge of honor and, and pride. Like I'm going every week. I'm out there four weeks a month. I'm preaching the gospel all over the world. I'm seeing people saved. I'm so, and it can become a form of pride that you wear on your arm. Yeah, I don't stop. I, I'm a hustler. I'm a, and, and you can wear it like pride. And then the Lord spoke to me. You're not my only worker. I've got workers all over the world doing the work of the harvest. It's all right if you take a rest. It's all right if you take a break. I'm not going to. Now, it's another thing if you're just lazy. That's a whole other story. People aren't doing anything. I wasn't on that side of the spectrum. Trust me. I'm still not. I'm not on that side where I'm just doing nothing. I'm always producing for the Lord. I'm always doing something. But I've learned my lesson. I'm going to rest myself. I'm not going to go burn. You know what the Lord spoke to me in that time of prayer? He said, I would rather you run long and strong with your ministry than to run hard and burn out after 20 years or 15 years so that you're no good to anybody anymore. I'd rather you run long and strong. Look at these other men that had powerful ministries. Brother Hagin, 60 some years preaching the gospel. 60 some years preaching the gospel. Look at these ministries that have had long um, fruitful times in the harvest field. And they understood that they understood the importance of rest. He gives his loved ones rest. Psalm 127 verse two. 
So the Lord guided me by the spirit to Mark chapter six. And look what he said. He said, go read what happened when my uh, disciples came back telling me of all that they had done in my name. And I, and remember Jesus was the one that commanded them to go do it. And they came back and look at this, uh, Mark six and verse 30, the Bible says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So what did he command them to do? Heal the sick, cast out devils, preach the gospel, all those things. And they came back with the testimony. We've done it all. And we've taught the people. Look at this. Jesus didn't even reference their work when they came back. Verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus said, yeah, you've done the work. Now I'm not going to even talk about your work. I'm not even going to reference your work. You know what I'm going to encourage you to do? Go rest. Go rest. You know what? This is the same Jesus who in John 9, 4 said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's yet day. For the night comes where no man can work. Same Jesus. Same urgency, same call, same anointing. But notice after they did the work, notice what he didn't say to them. Sometimes you can learn just as much by knowing what Jesus didn't say as by what he did say. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, yeah, good job. You were out there preaching the gospel and healing the sick, casting out devils. Now get back out there and start doing it again. What are you doing here? How come you came back? Keep on preaching. Why are you? No. He said, now let's go rest. Interesting, isn't it? And Jesus was always encouraging his disciples about the urgency of the signs of the times and the urgency of the harvest. Look at the harvest field. It's white and ready to be reaped. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers to go out in the harvest field. But notice they did the harvesting. They did the preaching, teaching and healing came back and he said, now rest, now rest. And so notice that he didn't even burn his disciples out knowing that he had urgency in his spirit and they should have urgency in theirs. He said, yes, you did the work. Now take the time to rest. And I feel like you can use, uh, lose your wisdom. Say, well, you know what? Jesus is coming. He's coming so soon. I'm going to go nonstop. I'm not going to stop working. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm going to go hard. Ah, so you burn up and blow up. And again, please hear this because I know, trust me, when I tell you this, I know the average person has a a, a kind of a, a bent towards laziness that you almost have to push most people to go do stuff because they're late. I'm not pushing laziness and I'm not pushing, you know, uh, a lack of productivity. You should be producing for the Lord. But for those that have uh, on the other side of error, where it's like, because it's what I'm talking about, the warning about the rapture, Jesus coming so soon. I'm going to go. Don't burn yourself out. There's other workers that are also doing the work. Rest is important. You don't want to burn out. Look at these men in the, uh, look at these men during the voice of healing that died at such young ages. Look at Jack Coe died at 38 years old, had a mighty healing ministry, was traveling the world, had the biggest tent in the history of evangelism. I guess until later years when Dr. Bonke and others got tents, but this is back in the forties and fifties, sat 20,000 people under the tent, 20,000 had creative miracles, signs and wonders, and still died at 38 years old. Because you can't just go hard, go hard, go hard, and not check yourself 
and not diet and not uh, properly have nutrition in your body and not sleep well. And you can't treat your body like a machine and destroy it. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And here's a man who was warned by other preachers. Watch how you deal with your body. Watch how you treat people and watch how you, you, you utilize or treat God's money. Three, three warnings he got and apparently didn't answer the, the warnings and didn't heed the instruction and died at 38. Now, do you think it was God's desire that he die at 38 years old or that Jack Coe run long and strong? Obviously that he run long and strong, but you can do things the wrong way that hinder your ability to grow and continue for long years serving the Lord. And you've got to use wisdom. That doesn't mean we just go, you know, we push the pedal to the metal every minute of every day until Jesus comes. And at the end, we're just like ragged saints floating to heaven, like unconscious because we worked so hard on the earth and the souls of men are important and evangelism is important, but you're not the only worker. Remember, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We're the army of God. To act like that negates the fact that you've got, you know, millions of other people around the world that call Christ Lord and that are doing his work. Don't allow yourself to be destroyed because you never use wisdom in life, whether that be financial wisdom, physical wisdom, relational wisdom. I've watched as, as ministers have lost their families. They've lost their wives and they've lost their children because I've got to get on the road. I've got to go out and preach. I've got to do the church. I've got to be at the church. I've got to do it. And they neglect their wives and they neglect their children and their children grow up. I've watched them. They don't even serve the Lord because they've not used wisdom. They've neglected wisdom in the name of urgency. Oh, Jesus is coming. Got to get to the church. Got to do it at the church. Got to get on the road. Got to go to it and left it. And their families grow up regretting. That's why I told the Lord, I'm going to have the faith and I believe you'll bless me that I'll take my family wherever I go. So I don't have to say goodbye to them for 270 days a year. And then me and my wife grow apart because we don't really ever spend time together. And she's always seeing me out on the road, but she's always home with the kids and my kids don't really know me. I'm not around for them, you know, learning to ride a bike or playing baseball games or losing their teeth or having a birthday and all these other things. I'm not around because I got to get out there on the road and do the earth. Have the faith to bring them with you. Make it fun. That's, you know, that I'm talking to ministers now, but that's what we, we've, my father did that. Everywhere my father went, I went. My sister went. My mom went. We jumped into the conversion van and went around America and Canada preaching the gospel. And I don't, and there's not one day of it that I look back and say, my dad drugged me around America. I didn't have a childhood like other kids. I don't think that one moment of a day I thank God for the opportunity. You know the things I got to do that other children never had the opportunity to do? You know the places I got to see in America and Canada that no one's ever seen because they've never left their county? You know the abilities of being able to just see and watch God move and other people grew up in dead churches and I got to be in revival every single night of my life? That's why I get ticked off at these stupid preachers kids that get on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Well, you know, I really regret my childhood because my father, we had four services on Christmas morning. Big deal. Get over it. Meanwhile, people are being saved. It's a wonderful thing to serve the Lord. It's a blessing to serve the Lord. My kids, let me tell you something. My kids don't get up and say, when are we going home? We've been on the road. They're excited. 
They got their backpacks packed. They're ready to go to the hotel. They're ready to come on the road. They're ready to see the, you know, they're, they're excited. Another trip. If they're, they're, if they're home too long, they're like, when are we getting on a plane? When are we flying again? When are we going to another meeting? Because that's all they've known. And we've taught them that serving the Lord is exciting. Serving the Lord is an adventure. Serving the Lord is a blessing. And you see, it's about how you present it. It's about the wisdom you use with it. It's the wisdom that you use. Yes, there's urgency. Jesus is coming soon. Preach the gospel. Live holy. But at the same time, use wisdom and plan like he won't come back for 100 years. Have something to give your children. Have something to give your grandchildren. Plan your life so you're not living in debt, racked by you know depression, anxiety, because how am I going to get out of it? Don't live that way. Take the Bible and fully understand the teaching. Holiness should be done daily. Evangelism should be done boldly and with urgency. But so should living wisely. Amen. That's right, Yaniel. Balance is the key. And that's the warning I want to share with you. And I'm going to pray for you because there's, there's people on both sides of this. There's people that, like me, are burning themselves out unnecessarily. And I'm not to say, I'm not to, that's not to say that the fruit that you've had come into your life or ministry is, is worthless fruit. No, thank God for the fruit. But don't have the fruit at the sake of destruction for yourself and your family. What good does it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Paul dealt with that. He said, you know, what, what good does it do for me to preach the gospel to everybody else? And then at the end of my life, become a castaway or disqualified or a reprobate one translation. So Paul's saying my ministry doesn't matter if my life's not intact. Amen. And so we have to keep both sides of this in our minds. I don't, I don't view, I don't view the rapture as escapism as some do and act like, oh, I'm just suffering down here on the earth until the rapture happens. And I can't wait to escape this world. No, I'm blessed here in this world. God's blessing me. And I know there's evil in the world. And I know there's things that are happening even to Christians and there's persecution. I know all that, but I'm not looking at that like an escape. I'm looking at it like prophecy fulfilled. That's going to be the next step of God's plan. But until he does it, I'm occupying until he comes. I'm blessed until he comes. I'm working until he comes. I get my family. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing to serve the Lord. But wisdom and urgency both go together. It's not either or. It's not either you live in urgency or you live in wisdom, but they're not the same. No. And there's ditches on both sides. Because remember this, there's ditches on the wisdom side where people are so careful that they don't ever give. And that they don't tithe. No, no, we save. You know, we're saving for the future. It's foolishness to disobey the commands of God. See, so there's error on both sides, but I'm encouraging you to truly follow both sides. Be urgent in your holiness. Be urgent in your evangelism. Be wise in your planning. Be wise with your family. Be wise with your giving. Be wise with your church. Both are needed. Both are needed. Let me pray for those of you that are watching today because this is such a vital message for the body of Christ. It's needed. We need it. Wisdom and urgency go together. Put that last thing in the comment section today. Wisdom and urgency go together. Father, I pray for the people watching this broadcast today or listening on the podcast. Thank you for every faithful life. Thank you for every faithful believer. I'm praying today. That number one, if people have 
gone too far on the side of urgency where they've taken steps or actions that are unwise, or they've even gotten to the place where they may be close to burning themselves out. I pray, Lord, that you would give them an understanding like you did for me, that they're not God's only worker, that there are others that are assisting in the work of the Lord, that we should have times, as Jesus spoke of, times of rest and refreshing, times with our families and our children to be a blessing. But Father, keep us in that place of urgency to live holy. Keep us in that place of urgency to to be urgent in evangelism and, and to call souls into the kingdom. But then on the other side, Lord, those that are not, uh, that have not felt the urgency of heaven, those that have been uh, lackluster in their performance for the kingdom, those that have been lazy, I pray you set a fire under them today. Those that have been just kind of sitting back and have not had the urgency of heaven in front of their face, set them on fire today. I pray that this message allowed them to see that not only is Jesus coming soon, many are not ready to see him when he comes. And so Lord, give us a heart for the lost. Give us an urgency for evangelism. Give us a compassion for souls and give us a boldness to speak the truth in love so that people don't end up in hell, but that they come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's too late in Jesus' name. Lord, raise up an army of wise believers, faithful, strong, steadfast, enduring believers that will not compromise the message of the gospel. And we thank you for that, Lord. Bless and strengthen every one of us to do your will. We know that time is short. Give us new, fresh strength in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, throw some amens in the comment section. Throw some fire in the comment section. If you believe that and receive it today. Once again, let me say this. If you're just um, logging on, it's very exciting because we're here in Rockford, Illinois, in the midst of revival at Rockford Assembly. It's it's a Riverside Assembly. I keep saying Rockford because I remember hearing Rockford first, but it's Riverside Assembly of God. All the details are on the website for the address, the times. Now this is central time. So those of you on the East Coast, if you're watching the stream, the services on the East Coast are starting at 7.30 every night. But here in central time, we're starting at 6.30, and then you can uh, calculate that wherever you are in the world. But we're live on our our platforms at night, and of course, we're broadcasting in the day. We'd love to see you here live. We've had people fly in, uh, and it's exciting. People have driven in, and I'm glad they're here. Um, But we want to see you as well. And if there's no way you can get here, I mean, it's not 1912. We're in in 2021. It's easy to get places. If you can get here, get here. If not, watch online and join us for the services. And then next week, I'm so excited about this, um, West Virginia camp meeting. Joining my father and my mother, it is going to be powerful. We've Listen to this. We've had more ministers register for West Virginia camp meeting this year than in the history of the camp meeting. More ministers are coming. Uh, it's, it's going to be supernatural. The church is going to be packed with hungry people. We want to see you there for West Virginia camp meeting. It's coming up the 27th through the 30th of April. That's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It begins Tuesday night at seven o'clock and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 10:30 AM and 7 PM each of those three days. And, uh, if you've registered now, they're, they're actually at this point, we're full. But uh, we spend time in fellowship, ministering with the uh, pastors and evangelists, and we eat together twice a day. After the morning service, we eat lunch, 
After the night service, we eat dinner together. We hang, we fellowship. It's awesome. And uh, I believe that's full at this point. But you can still come to camp meeting. The meetings are going to be off the chart. I cannot wait. Get to camp meeting. It's going to be powerful. I mean, encourage those of you that are watching. You feel the urgency. Sow a seed by faith today. I want to encourage you to sow a seed into the kingdom of God. You're a part of the reaping of the harvest. That's what we're doing. Carol and I, as we travel, as we preach around the world, and of course now we're on television around the world, we're preaching the gospel and people are being saved. And so I want to encourage you, you can see it on the screen, the ways you can give. MiracleWord.com is the easiest place to get all the information of how you can give. Of course, you can use debit and credit card on the website, but PayPal is available, Cash App if you're in the United States, uh, Zelle transfers if you use Zelle, um, Venmo, all of that information. And then, of course, if you're in Facebook or Twitter, you can always use hashtag donate in the comments section, as others have already done today, to sow seeds. But let me encourage you to sow seed of faith today. As I said, we are uh, believing God for souls to come in. And one of the ways we do that, if we can't go, we can sow. I understand many of you work jobs. You can't just throw everything down and travel the road and preach the gospel. But that's what I'm called to do. And so as you sow seed into this ministry, not only are you blessed abundantly, but you're pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ forward throughout the earth through the ministries to which you're sowing. And so I say thank you. But let me say this. As I've been talking about urgency, I literally want to encourage you, because this is my prayer, to partner with me and with Carolyn on a monthly basis. And you can do that again at miracleword.com. And you can click the partner tab and stand with us on a monthly basis. God's speaking to people right now. And whether you sow $100 a month, $500 a month, $1,000 a month, whatever the Lord speaks to you to do, you can literally set that up on the website. You have your own account. You can adjust when the, the amount is being sown, how much. You can always adjust that on the fly. But I want to encourage you to step out in faith and do something on a monthly basis to stand with us before Jesus comes. For those of you that are sowing $85 or more in April, we've got a book by Smith Wigglesworth that we're sending you called Ever Increasing Faith. I believe that it might be the uh, only book that he himself wrote. There are other books written about him, but this one is... Uh, one that he wrote. Now you can see the website on the screen, miracleword.com forward slash offer. If you'd like to get this and you've sown your seed, uh, go to that uh, exact website address and you can fill out the form and we'll send this book to you. We do that because there's some ways that people give that we don't know what their address is. So obviously if you give through hashtag donate to the website, we know what your mailing address is, but with Cash App, you know, we'd have no way to know. Venmo, we'd have no way to know. So we want to know where we can send your gift. Those of you that are, thank you, Yanil. Those of you that are sowing $1,000 or more, uh, we're going to be sending you, the on top of that book, the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, which I used today and read from today. And uh, we're going to be sending that to you as our way to say thank you. And then we've got people that are sowing very largely at $5,000 or more. And so for those that are sowing at $5,000 or more, we've put together the Elite Study Pack. That's three study Bibles and two books on how to study the Bible effectively. And this is, to me, this is the best thing that we've ever released for study. And uh, we've got the Dakes Bible, the Life Application Study, 
and the New English translation with full notes, 60,000 notes. And that's two books, Knowing Scripture and How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. These will help you go deep in the scripture. And uh, we're putting it together in a special Elite Study Pack custom box that you can have. Uh, and it's going to be mail mailing out shortly for those that are sewing $5,000 or more. So thank you. Uh, once again, if you didn't hear the announcement from today, I'll give it to you before we go. And that is this. We just launched the Miracle Word blog. And it is now live on our website. So all you've got to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash blog. And we will have uh, articles posted there every single week. And there's already a bunch there that you can read, but you can get it on your phone, tablet, whatever. And you can read those. And we're going to give you new content to build your faith and keep you in the know every single week. When I, the reason I say that is because when I teach some of these things about Bible study and other things, people are like, man, I had no, I had no idea about that. You know, it's like the other day when we were teaching, people were like, you threw people off when you talked about Jeremiah 29, 11. It's because people aren't teaching these things. And people are like, man, I had no idea about that. I had no idea. So when I'm keeping you in the know, I'm showing you things about studying the Bible and about the way that you should think about scriptural things that maybe nobody's taught you before. And that's our goal. We don't want to just equip you. We don't want to just build your faith. We want you to have divine wisdom so that you can do what the Lord's called you to do. You're anointed and I love you very much. That's why I'm here every morning. <laughs> I tell you, there's days, of course, if you're in revival, that tiredness tries to hit your body. Let me tell you what keeps me coming back every morning, even in the midst of revival week after week after week. I love spending time with you. I love teaching you. I love having you on. I love reading your comments. It's a blessing. Like it really is a blessing. And I love you. When I call you the Victory Tribe, we're a family. I mean that. We truly are a family. And I love seeing you when you get to come and be in these live meetings with us. Again, we're live tonight, 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. I'll see you then. Have a blessed day. Thank you for sowing seeds. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.